Hi, and welcome to the Joyful Balance podcast. You're here with your two co-hosts, I'm Mira, and I've got Denise with me. I'm a nutritionist and neuroscientist with a specialism in helping people with mental health and focus challenges. And Denise is a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist who specializes in helping people get sleep and enjoy healthier lifestyles. We're here to take you on a journey of your mind, your brain and your body and how all three things are interlinked. And today we are doing something a little bit different, which is all about the neuroscience of depression. So, uh, Denise, how are you? Good. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I am fine. And I am um, also very excited about this episode because obviously I understand what happens with uh, depression and low mood and people going through it. And I understand what are the interventions that I can help people with. However, I can't say that I've studied it from a neuroscientific or biological point of view. So I'm very excited about this episode. Good. So um, we have called this the kind of um, neuroscience episode, but I just want to be clear, like, there's only so much we can fit into a 40 minute episode. Uh, I think if we went into the absolute weeds of discussing uh, exactly what transporter and what uh, receptors and the real nitty gritty of the neuroscience, we would be here for three hours at least. <laughs> yeah. So we'll so get I've a degree. It, yeah, exactly. Right. So I've kept it a little <laughs> bit higher level um, on purpose. And mm-hmm. the purpose of this episode is also to expand your mind about what actually is depression and um, and what are the causes of depression that are a bit more beyond what we might think it is. Mm. So, um, yeah. Uh, so maybe let's start with that. So if we think about depression, not from a psychological point of view but from what happens in our body point of view what would you what would you say what is happening well so I thought before we even do that oh we take a step back we take an even bigger step back which is what actually is depression because I I think the problem is is that we we kind of I think if you don't have experienced it or work within the field it sometimes isn't really that easy to uh, understand or appreciate what the experience actually is like. I understand. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I agree. And so um, I kind of thought about how I wanted to do this episode and I thought, well, actually we've really got to start with what actually is it. And Mm -hmm. I think this is, this is quite important also because even if you don't experience it, you may know someone who is experiencing it. And so being aware of what the signs and symptoms are is quite important because you never know when you may need to use them. And, and you know, hopefully, God willing, you never do, mm, but mm-hmm. just in case. Mm-hmm. So uh, so the, the way that most clinicians will look at the signs and symptoms of depression is by assessing them according to existing what they call sort of diagnostic models um, that are used by medical professionals and Mm -hmm. by uh, therapists and so forth. So there's a couple of key ones to know. There's the DSM-5, 
which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, which is uh, created by the American Psychological Association. And then there's the International Classification of Diseases by the World Health Organization. And they align pretty closely, I guess, on um, mental health conditions, although they have their own slight ways of diagnosing them. Mm -hmm. So the DSM is the one that most people will use when it comes to mental health. It's by far yeah. the most used one. Um, and so uh, it's it was originally kind of created to help understand what, you know, statistically what is, how many people are suffering with these kinds of conditions, you know, pooling of the symptoms to try and make them make sense in terms of like, mm. well, what actually is ill mental health because obviously back in the 1800s when they started trying to define these they didn't really have a yeah a, a dictionary for these kinds of conditions I think they called it the uh, melancholia or something like that yeah Did definitely they? at that yeah at that point in time you know yeah there's every uh what's the word there's every chance that people who were accused of being witches could have just been mentally unwell yeah um there are so many different things like before we even had definitions for mental health that we would now be able to class as a mental health condition that we wouldn't have known about back then. No, absolutely. So, so the DSM has developed over time. It's undergone, it's undergone at least five versions mm -hmm. and it's on the fifth version now, Correct, which is the one yeah. that everyone uses. And although we originally designed them to understand the statistics around mental health they were then aligned to the icd descriptions and also they were then further refined to help uh, to be easier for people to create um randomized controlled trials uh, in order to really start to come up with more effective treatments so that's kind of been the development of it anyway the D the dsm5 is absolutely huge it's added more diagnoses there have been mm -hmm political changes you know some of it is politicized and it's a very very complex machine and a lot of work that goes into it but it is pretty much the best tool that we have right now at least insofar as classifying and being able to identify in a standardized way what is mm, things mm. like depression so yeah. their definition of depression and i will i will break this down further on um so don't worry about not really you know, understand or not really appreciate what the concepts actually are, but they, they say, you know, a depression is a persistent disturbance in mood, which could be sadness, irritability, a loss of pleasure or interest in virtually all activities, uh -huh. in addition to at least four of the following symptoms for at least two weeks in duration. So you've got sleep disturbances, feelings of guilt, a loss of energy, uh, impaired concentration so not being able to concentrate on things changes in appetite which can be up or down so you could be eating more you could be eating less something called psychomotor agitation or retardation where you're suddenly moving a lot more because you can't sit still or actually your movements have really slowed down and trigger warning of course but suicidal ideation so kind of feeling like you've got thoughts of death self-harm and unfortunately oh. even um even attempting yeah um is that, sorry yeah. sorry to interrupt you Mira. i think it's worth mentioning right here is those particular symptoms are also what is um used by all of us working in mental health through the um, phq9 
So when you are going to see a mental health professional, they will take you through certain questions and those questions form part of this standardized form, which is PHQ-9, trying to identify whether or not you suffer from depression. So those exact things that Mira just mentioned are the questions that I ask each and every one of my clients the first time they walk through the door. Because yeah, and important to understand if in the last two weeks they've experienced these symptoms how severe they are because they can be you know on a on a scale from zero to three i i remember i think it's zero to three um they go through you know and obviously sometimes you are able to help them and sometimes if depression is scoring very high because you have certain grades then you would need to refer them on in my case for example yeah of course and usually the people I'm working with have already, they already know they they struggle with these conditions. Um, and as Denise mentioned, there are a couple of like really universal questionnaires that clinicians will use to um, assess whether someone has depression and how severe it is. The PHQ-9 and which I think stands for patient health questionnaire, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, version nine. Then there's yeah. the GA or is it version nine or nine questions? Sorry. No, it's it's version it's version nine, and yeah. um, you also probably are referring to GAD seven, which yeah, is GAD general, seven. yeah, which yeah. is the generalized anxiety disorder uh, questionnaire. Sometimes they go hand in hand. That's yes, they probably do. something that Mirao is gonna come on to in a second. Exactly. Depression doesn't always show up by herself. She shows up with her friend anxiety. Oh my and, god! Doesn't she just? Yes. And they're. Yeah, both a pair of wallies. I was going to say something quite ruder, <laughs> but then I was like, mm, I probably shouldn't. Um, yeah. uh, yes, so absolutely. The thing with depression is that it does often co-occur with other psychiatric disorders. I didn't actually know that at all until I was in hospital myself, and th- I thought I was like really like well, mm-hmm. not really neat, but I thought I was the only one that like mm-hmm. had anxiety and depression until I found that everybody else like because one of the things we talk about a lot in hospital is your diagnoses and uh what meds you're on like that's the information that's like before you even you don't discuss occupation family it's like what do you have and what are you on yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, none of that gets discussed it's it's a really interesting place and for those who've not um for those who aren't aware um and I'm jumping all over the place in this episode, even though I've got an entire like list of like things I wanted to talk about. Uh, I am a mental health patient myself. I have been in a private um, psychiatric facility um, where I had to get myself, you know, well, where I had to be stabilized on medication and it was a, a big mess. And then, you know, then let it discover nutrition and how much it can help mental health. And then that's how I got where I am today. And if you want to know more about that story, tune into episode one or two uh it's it's in the first yeah yeah, it's two two um episode two um where I explain my story in fuller yeah in 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 the full way anyway so so yes it does often co-occur with other psychiatric conditions probably anxiety being up there is the, the main one um and also it it really does look different for across different developmental stages and between males and females so okay we've talked about it in more like what are the clinical signs and symptoms but what does that actually mean for people on a day-to-day basis so in more layman's terms you know everyone will feel down at some point 
it is almost slash it it is virtually impossible to ever not feel down at some points we all will um it's a normal part of life it's a normal part of experience um but it's when it you feel down and hopeless on a consistently regular basis that's when it could be something like depression so I'm going to talk about these next symptoms more in how I relate to these um and you'll and I think in understanding that you you kind of get a richness for what that looks like for someone on a day-to-day basis so that Mm. if this is you you know that uh you're not alone um there are other people out there who feel very very similarly and even if they don't feel the exact same can really empathize with where you're coming from um so the the kind of more the symptoms that you would understand are the feeling sad anxious or quote-unquote empty um this is a big one I think for me like I will often get quite if I'm not sad then I'm anxious and if I'm not anxious then I'm probably sad it's like it's just how it works in my brain but sometimes sadness for me doesn't look like actually being like Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh it can where he's just constantly down and pessimistic it can look at it can look like you're you feel empty or you you basically almost feel nothing um that's another common thing that I experience now um that numbness basically yeah yeah how do you feel numb you're like nothing or numb. yeah yeah I think for just a one sentence Mm. I just wanted to uh empathize what numbness would translate into is it's because sometimes people don't have the words to describe and say, oh, I feel numb. It's basically you are not able to experience none of them, neither the joy, nor the pleasure, nor the sadness. It's just like it, it's like there is no emotion. Yeah. And it's That's the it's best a, way I could put it. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Like, or even for me, maybe it's not true numbness, but like, I don't feel the sadness that I know that I'm experiencing. Like, if that makes sense, yeah. like, yeah. it's not like I'm on the verge of tears all the time. I just don't like, I don't, I just don't feel it. Um, that, that's what, that's what I mean. It's like you made, there might be sadness there, but you don't feel sad. If that makes sense, you, yeah. you feel nothing at all. It's like you are in some sort of a vacuum. You can yeah, totally. feel the lows, but you also cannot feel the highs. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, sometimes people describe it to me as neutral. I'm neutral. And I'm like, "Mm." yeah, are you you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, and then there's feeling hopeless, Mm. worthless, pessimistic. These are all feelings that I can understand. Um, So feeling like, you know, nothing good is coming down the line um, that you you kind of don't feel like you have any value or you're not sure what your value actually really is uh you can't see yeah anything kind of good happening in the future or it's all bad or it's never going to change or um something along those lines are quite common to experience and there are things that I can all identify with um you may cry a lot uh this is something I have I'm not a crier generally um it's just never been usually how I respond to emotions but 
I will notice when it's really bad that I will cry more than I ordinarily would. Mm. You may feel bothered, irritable, angry, annoyed constantly. Uh, so have a very kind of a short temper is not quite the right word, like word, but it's just the more irritability, I think, mm. than anything else or just plain old angry. Mm-hmm. Um, you may you may experience a loss of interest in hobbies um you may yeah experience a loss of you know joy enjoyment in hobbies and interests that you once actually really liked you know it goes hand in hand with that feeling of numbness and that neutrality you just don't really feel much of anything or you can't be bothered to do the things that you once enjoyed um it may be because you struggle with concentration um and it just could be because you just don't feel anything Mm. um you experience lower energy you're constantly tired you just you may move or talk more slowly as a result like I mentioned you may have difficulty in concentrating remembering making decisions these are all things I don't really struggle with making decisions I've always been quite a decisive person but for me like the difficulty concentrating and remembering is an issue um Mm. you may have difficulty sleeping um and I suppose I'm quite lucky in that I don't have that as much anymore because I'm on a medication that helps me sleep or has a side effect of helping Mm -hmm. me sleep. But I do notice that when I feel lower now in these, in this time period of my life that I will suffer a lot more with early morning awakening. And I'm talking like three, four in the morning um, Mm -hmm. awakening. Some people have almost the opposite problem though. Like they, don't struggle to get to sleep and in fact they oversleep so that their, their yeah. way of coping is to just constantly nap mm. or have really long sleeps um yeah, yeah. what um, what we call uh, avoidant behavior yeah yeah avoiding uh, feeling like that you just sleep yeah for as and, much and as it, you can yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I definitely know people that do that um Appetite or weight changes are pretty common. So for some, it goes up. For many, it goes down as well. Like it's, yeah, and and there are some sex differences in regards to this. Um, You may experience a lot of physical pain that has no, or like physical ailments have no clear cause and don't really get better with treatment. So you may get headaches, general aches and pains. Digestive problems are really common. Um, And then like we said before, trigger warning, um, you know, you may have thoughts of death, uh, self-harm and, and, and even go on to attempt. Now, in this terms of the differences between men and women, um, women are twice as likely to suffer from depression. And this particularly, the genders are actually relatively equal up until about the age of 13. And then throughout childhood, women remain twice as, high, uh, twice as at risk of it. Um, it could partly be due to sex hormone differences and changes that contribute to the increased yeah. risk. But women are also more likely to report their symptoms and to get help, whereas True. men are more likely to cope on their own and potentially, for example, abuse substances um, in order to cope. Um, and sadly, when they do try and get help, uh, it's much more likely to be missed. Um, men tend to experience more symptoms of anger whereas women tend to experience that low mood and that anger almost tends inwards they feel a lot of guilt and worthlessness they tend to experience more anxiety they cry more they experience more appetite 
increases and weight gain, whereas men tend to lose weight and experience more insomnia. But the severity between the genders is largely equal. So it's not that one gender gets it worse. It's just that it seems to be more prevalent in one in one particular gender than the other. I think what's what's worth mentioning here, Mira, is exactly what you what you started with this uh, sentence, if that makes sense, is mm. that we believe that men experience it less, but that is also because there are fewer men reporting it. Yeah, and and in fact, that it gets missed. Exactly. So it it might be that it's a 50-50 split, but because it doesn't get reported as as often, it doesn't get picked up as often. It's sometimes masked by some sort of addiction or abuse of any, you know, any kind. It kind of goes untraced. So it's not necessarily the best statistical thing with with the depression at this moment in time. We just, we haven't, we don't know better at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um, um, so I haven't really done the like whole statistics thing about like how many people suffer from it. It is a really common experience, unfortunately. Um, you know, partly that's down to increased awareness of the fact that mental health conditions exist and they are real and they affect people. Um, it's also partly um you know we have yeah we have this kind of increased awareness um you know we're developing more understanding of these conditions thankfully um as the days go by and there but there is still so much we have to discover but just know that the are mm-hmm. they are common at some point you know one in four of us are going to experience a mental health condition and if it's so if it's not us then we will undoubtedly know someone that mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. so just to say yeah before before we we go on from this topic i just wanted to to mention one that really sometimes goes really unnoticed is that what they call the high functioning depression Mm. in the sense that it looks as if you got your stuff together you're thriving at work and you're highly functioning and some aspects of your life are not impacted by it, but that doesn't mean that you don't suffer from depression. We've, yeah. we've seen it in the news in the last few years with people that have committed suicide for what seems like out of the blue. Yeah. But they were struggling with depression for years. It's just that there is no rule that depression shows up in all facets of your life. Yeah. Sometimes it can be just in terms of relationships. Sometimes it can be across the board. Sometimes it's only related to work. So I would say from my point of view, trying to put um, depression in a, in a ball is don't assume because somebody is performing very well that everything is hanky-dory. Just give yourself the chance to learn about people and be compassionate about them because we sometimes don't know the full story. And just by being compassionate and kind, we might be able to help somebody that we wouldn't know that they are struggling. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think I can resonate with that in some respects because... I I suppose at some point I've been quite the same like I don't know if yeah like like I I you know we can do a podcast and I can come across as like super confident or very you know feeling like you know 
very knowledgeable and all these things but that doesn't necessarily reflect how I feel on the inside um so I think thanks for raising that Denise um it's true like very rarely do we know anyone's complete story or can appreciate how much that that impacts them on a day-to-day basis and I think it's so easy like even in my own family to like you know for not forget but like um well maybe forget is the right word but like overlook the fact that I will have been through a lot and that has an ongoing impact on me personally and um and you know and that doesn't mean that I don't still get these occasional you know bad days um just because the worst of it is over in, mm. you know insofar as we know you know it's interesting right actually I should probably I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up now because why not but um I had recently gone to see a family friend of ours and um and it's no one that would listen to this podcast so it's fine um but they I think I just mentioned in passing like because with this particular group of people I can be quite open about mm-hmm. you know the fact that I still have therapy and all that kind of stuff and they said to me like oh you know when you came back from um from Hong Kong which is where I got really ill and had to come back home um you know I kind of just thought you know okay you'd be in a hospital for about six weeks it'd take you a couple of years but then you would be back to kind of normal and you'd kind of be quote unquote over it so you you know they were like you know the fact that like, I don't know, five, eight years on from Hong Kong, you know, you used to still go to therapy and take medications and stuff. Like maybe this treatment isn't working for you and you need to consider something like these psychedelic trials. And I was a bit like, to be honest, it was a bit of a punch to the guts because it's like, well, I'm sure this is really not what they meant and they really were just trying to be helpful. But it's... um. I think it's very much like I I do see where they're coming from and you know maybe there is more out there in terms of treatments and stuff and I'm not and I'm not knocking you know exploring that you know the psychedelics the ketamine trials which is not something treatments are not something I've touched on in this episode because that is an episode in and of itself uh, if not more than one um but it's kind of like neglecting to understand the fact that well maybe my brain just works differently to yours and that's because I've had experiences and genetic vulnerabilities that are completely different to you so if you it it was just a really the thing that they thought was really helpful that was actually really unhelpful Mm. um even though I can see where they're coming from and I think they do have a point to some degree in that there's definitely ways and I believe in this for my clients as well and for myself like where you manage on the least amount of medication and all these kinds of things by like looking after your diet and lifestyle right but it's missing the point that like well maybe you know some of these you know depression isn't just a for some people it's not just a one episode experience throughout life it's actually often Mm. something that can happen multiple times throughout someone's Mm -hmm, lifespan mm -hmm. and that is part of the condition and it's not like it just disappears yeah um so 
it's not a, it's it's not a it's not an on off switch necessarily no. sometimes it can be if it if it's you know uh, a consequence of some traumatic event and it yes, could be absolutely. that you know something really bad happened you go through an episode of depression or anxiety or something else and then you are able to move past that event but that is not a, a, a golden rule it doesn't happen to everyone it's not a one size fits all I think that's first thing I wanted to add and giving you the example you've just shared so thank you for sharing it I think if we are in that situation if we have somebody that we know that has gone through a similar um, experience and we just want to nudge them into trialing new things perhaps it's just a question rather than I was expecting you to be over it maybe it's just a have you thought about other treatments have you discussed with your uh, you know mental health professionals if there is anything else you may be able to do because I think sometimes people are very well intended as you just said it's mm. just the way they pose that to you it feels a little bit like rather than look Mira I'm very sorry you're going through this is there anything else out there do you think that can help because I'm sure that would be a different reaction from yourself versus was expecting you to be over it yeah yeah and and you know to some extent like I don't know doing long-term therapy is not necessarily a bad thing if no, it helps you feel no. better like exactly. and and I just think I uh, just okay maybe opinion you do you situation. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah I, I like that you just you do you whatever helps you go through your days whatever helps you be in a balance you are responsible for you and I think sometimes people can come in with big boots to try to knock it down and tell you how to do it differently yeah 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 anyway okay so um now uh okay so then I was going to talk about what are the causes of depression so just like everything else in life it's really really complicated and really really messy and they all interlink with each other so yes family history absolutely increases risk of depression if you have um someone in your family who has experienced depression or mental illness before it makes you more vulnerable because of a shared genetic kind of history um it can be due to other medical conditions for example chronic pain is a very well-known contributor to um, increased risk of anxiety and depression cardiovascular disease parkinson's in uh, experiencing ongoing insomnia can massively contribute to depression um i'm getting very enthusiastic nods from denise just there um yeah because everybody believes that depression causes insomnia but insomnia can be both a cause and a, a symptom yeah and a lot of and a lot of what these kind of contributing factors are kind of it's not always a one directional like mm. Oh exactly. yeah, you get you get this, then you get that. It could be well, they could each cause each other. It, they can come in either order. To yeah. be honest, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, so then we have um, we have the obvious one, the one that everyone probably is most familiar with, which is um, changes to brain chemistry. Um, so there is thoughts that yes, it it could be that there are changes to the brain chemistry in parts of the brain that are responsible for managing mood thoughts, sleep, appetites, behavior. 
Um, as I've alluded to earlier, hormone levels, changes to female hormones, estrogen and progesterone during different parts of the cycle, in the postpartum period, during um, the beginning of menopause, all increase the risk of depression. Um, and also changes more recently that we've discovered to brain structure. So, you know, you can have an increased risk of depression if you have a front, your frontal lobe, which is, uh, as it says on the tin, is at the front of your, your head. Um, if that part of your brain is less active, but we, it can increase your risk of depression, but we don't know a bit like insomnia, which is the chicken and which is the egg. And it doesn't really matter because we still don't know which one came first. So um, we don't actually know if this happens before the depression or it happens as a result of the onset of the depression symptoms. So the culmination of that uh, ramble is that it's likely to be a genetic vulnerability, difficulties uh, or faulty regulation of mood and stressful life events um, that increase your risk of depression and contributes uh, and I don't think I've already discussed this but yes absolutely early childhood trauma massively affects the way that your body responds to fear and stressful situations and that is a huge um, kind of uh, pre it puts you at a huge disadvantage when it comes to the risk of developing uh, depression if you're ever interested have a look at something called the adverse child um, childhood events studies ACE um, where they actually are able to calculate kind of like the traumatic things that you've been through in your earlier life. And basically it has a direct um, potential link to, um, well, it definitely does have a link to increasing the risk of uh, many different conditions, not just anxiety and depression. So um, I've touched on a few of the causes of depression and just to kind of go into them a bit more. And what I want to do is, excuse me, is to kind of what I really want to do is to kind of break that, that stereotype that it's all related to brain chemistry, because although this has been what like the most influential discovery in relation to brain health and depression, um, it's a big oversimplification of what actually causes mm. depression so the brain chemistry notion around its relation to depression is kind of what's called the monoamine theory of depression which is that you know there are abnormalities in the neurotransmitters that uh, support your mood and behavior which namely are serotonin norepinephrine also called noradrenaline and dopamine and these are kind of like your monoamine. So that's where the monoamine theory of depression is. It just describes their structure. Now, this has kind of come about as a result of early observations of very old forms of antidepressants called tricyclic antidepressants that were able to relieve depression symptoms by increasing the level of serotonin and norepinephrine, particularly in the brain. And how they've done this is they basically inhibit the enzyme called monoamine monoamine oxidase M -O -M -A -O, um, which is what breaks down uh, these neurotransmitters so that they stopped having an effect in the brain and to cut a very long story short if you imagine that you've got two brain cells right and hold your two index fingers um, opposite each other so kind of bent you're bent at 90 yeah they're horizontal uh -huh. index fingers and they're, they're not touching each other but they are literally less than like a centimeter apart okay okay that's 
basically your left finger is one neuron and your right finger is another. They don't physically touch each other, but at the point where your um, fingernail is, where the tips of your finger are, there is a release of chemicals called neurotransmitters from the left one that then attach to antennas or receptors on the right one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are called your neurotransmitters. Okay. So now the gap in between is called the synapse. So they have to, uh, or the synaptic cleft, and they have to kind of travel across the, the chemicals have to travel across that, that kind of gap in order to attach to the uh, receptors on the right. And basically it's only when electricity fires in the left one, it triggers the release of the neurochemicals that then go across to the right one. And then that triggers the electrical firing of the right one. So that's how the sequence of neurotransmission happens in your brain. And that again is a very big oversimplification of exactly how it works, but that is the basics that you need to know. So the thought process is because these antidepressants work, and I'm pretty sure they were discovered by accident, is that um, they then thought, okay, well, it's because you have low levels of these these neurochemicals that aren't allowing your your brain cells to fire and to create um, the more kind of, you know, the better mood um, or not even just a state of happiness, but just that state of balance, right? It's mm-hmm. completely thrown off. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that it's not just increasing these chemicals in the brain. It's not the case of that you just want more chemicals hanging around in the synapse because basically these chemicals have a mildly neurotoxic effect if they're left to hang around. So your body's created these enzymes that basically force your 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 left neuron, which is called the presynaptic neuron, to retake up all of those um, neurochemicals so they're not just hanging around in the synaptic cleft because that's not what's meant to happen. So basically what tricyclic antidepressants do is that they block that reuptake and they block, block the breakdown of these neurotransmitters and their reabsorption so that they do hang around in the synapse for longer and therefore do um, help to raise mood. Now, that is as basic as I can put it. Now, they were effective. There have been newer generations of these drugs that have been developed that don't really focus so much on the monoamine oxidase, which is one that kind of stops them being broken down, which basically would stop them being broken down, but really focus on stopping the neurotransmitters that you do have from being taken up again and prevented from having their effect so uh and it's not just they're not also just working on serotonin now they often work on noradrenaline so there's ssris which is serotonin it's selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors so they stop your serotonin being reabsorbed but there's now snris which are serotonin and noradrenaline reuptake inhibitors so they're starting to uh, act on yeah on other different neurotransmitters yeah. so Now, the problem is that there are actually many, many chemicals involved working both in and outside the cells. And you'll be very glad to know that I'm not about to bore you with all those details. There's millions and millions, possibly billions of chemical reactions that make up a dynamic system that are responsible for your mood, perceptions and how you experience life. Many of those we don't even know yet because the brain is probably our most undiscovered organ. And also, you know, antidepressants like one they take fat they do take a while to work it normally takes a good couple of weeks if not slightly more for them to really have their effect and there's thoughts about why which i'll come on to later um they don't necessarily work for everybody um 
and they are not the only thing that really helps us fully get better. And also, you know, we need to really understand, well, where in the brain is this actually happening? Um, so, you know, we know for sure that there is reduced from brain imaging studies that there is reduced um, serotonin binding in the mid part of the brain called the midbrain and the amygdala. And I'll talk about the amygdala later, but basically it's massively involved in emotional regulation. There's less serotonin binding in the frontal lobes, as we've already mentioned, in the temporal regions, which are at the sides of your head, and the limbic region, which I've mentioned, is really there for the seat of your memory and your mood. And there's a higher density of that monoamine oxidase, the enzyme that removes all of these neurotransmitters in the brain. So we do know that there is something neurochemically happening um, in all the centers of the brain that are relevant for processing emotion, for making decisions, for affecting behavior, um, but what we don't understand is what we don't appreciate fully is that that is not the thing that fully explains why depression happens in someone. So now more recently, we've been able to better, uh, we've been better able to track emotions in your head as they happen. So researchers are thinking that more than just specific levels of brain chemicals, there's it, it's all about the nerve cell connections, where, how we're able to grow nerve cells, the functioning of the nerve circuits that have a major impact on depression. So there's basically, you know, been way more advanced forms of brain imaging called, and he, here's some nerdy words for you, positron emission topography or PET scans, single photon emission computer topography, which is called SPECT scans, which some um, brain health experts are really, really hot on. Um, and functional magnetic resonance imaging um, or fMRIs, which are basically able to help us get a closer look at the working brain more than ever before to understand what parts of the brain regulate mood um, and how, uh, how other functions such as memory are affected by depression. And they can do this more in real time because sometimes they assess like how blood flow changes throughout the brain, for example, and you can do that under specific tasks. So you can literally watch how different areas of the brain light up in different scenarios and you, you start to work out what parts of the brain are functioning in what specific tasks and you can start to work out what parts of the brain do what exactly. Uh -huh. So as I discussed, the areas that are play a particular role in depression include the amygdala. So it's basically this almond-shaped, um, tiny, tiny structure that sits right in the center of your brain. That is a major processing center for emotions. It links emotions to memories. Um, it integrates learning and your senses and affects your decision-making. Your thalamus, which is kind of, it's also in the center of your brain, but more towards the front. And it's your information relay station. So all information on your senses, apart from smell, which goes directly from your olfactory nerve up into your brain, um, is processed through your thalamus before it goes to different parts of your cerebral cortex, which are kind of like the two like squiggly hemispheres that we know of. Um, and it, it will send it's your information relay station that will send it from the thalamus to all the relevant parts of your brain um, and plays a major role in sleep, wakefulness, consciousness, learning and memory. And then the hippocampus, which is a seahorse kind of shaped, hence its name, um, structured again, deep in your brain near the amygdala, which is a major pro role in learning and memory. And fun fact, they've actually found that London taxi drivers who need to learn their way around London actually have a, 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 a larger, larger, yeah, 
yeah yeah um hippocampus because they have to dedicate so much to learning the entire map of london yeah yeah from memory basically so um research has shown that the hippocampus is smaller in um patients experience depression and the more bouts of depression they have the smaller the hippocampus is so i think mine's probably the size of about two neurons by this point which explains my why my memory is so bloody awful um <laughs> stress also plays a role in in depression which affects the production of new neurons in the hippocampus so that's quite important for understanding the fact that how early life stresses can play a huge role on your ability to potentially developing your hippocampus and you know having massive impacts on you in later life like that would make really good sense and they've also been able to see from these imaging studies how antidepressants can you know can actually boost um uh how they can actually boost production of um not only of the chemicals in the brain but also what those chemicals go on to do so it could be that the reason that it takes so long for you to feel a benefit on antidepressants could be because mood only improves as the nerves grow and form new connections and animal studies have shown that antidepressants they do spur new growth of an enhanced branching of nerve cells in the hippocampus so it may be that antidepressants also have a role in making new neurons and strengthening nerve cell connections and improving and improving the exchange of information between the nerve circuits which is how they actually have an effect more than just boosting the chemicals that are in the brain it's also what those chemicals go on to do now other parts of the brain that other than the hippocampus that are affected is the amygdala um and um it's been shown that, to, you know, you know, the amygdala, it, it gets um, activated every time you recall, for example, an emotionally charged event. It's what, um, you know, it's where you feel things like anger, pleasure, sorrow, fear, all of these emotions and more. And its activity is heightened in depression to the point where the amygdala can actually become enlarged. So all that space that was lost in my hippocampus is now taken up by my amygdala. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, so... And then another structure that I've not really discussed as of yet, and it's the last one I will, is the basal ganglia. And so this is also deep in the brain and interacts with parts of the brain that are close to the surface. It can facilitate movement, but may also have a role in, in memorizing, thinking and emotional processing. And again, studies have found that there are shrinkage and changes in people with depression. So now what we don't know, and as I've mentioned before, is that... Um, we don't know whether these like brain changes are before the depression happens or like someone experiences depression and that's kind of the side effect of the depression or if they happen prior to developing the symptoms of onset. So we don't know if it's a before or after or chicken and egg thing. Um, and so we're still working our way through understanding that. And, you know, what we're also understanding and what the hope is with, kind of treatments is that as we develop the understanding we'll be able to develop much more specific treatments um in order to support um people with depression and hopefully hopefully reduce the symptoms yeah. now what i also mentioned is that there is an involvement of the hormones um in mental health and yes there are the sex hormones like for example progesterone and estrogen like particularly estrogen like massively affects the sensitivity of your brain to to the neurochemicals like serotonin and dopamine so if your um, sex hormones aren't 
um, you know, if they are really fluctuating, that has a massive impact on mood, which is why you do experience things like PMS, why women who go through the menopause do experience more anxiousness um, and loss of memory and um, brain fog and all these things. Because once the sex hormones change, it massively affects your sensitivity to think to neurochemicals like dopamine and serotonin. Um, also, there's a massive constant communication between your brain and your endocrine system, your endocrine system being your hormone system. And that happens through something called the HPA axis or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So it's a constant communication pathway and feedback loop that really relates to how and really tunes your body to basically um, adapt and deal with stress. That's primarily why it, it kind of is around if you like. So what the sequence of events is. Okay, so it's a massive um, communication and feedback loop between the nervous system and the endocrine system to help maintain homeostasis and, you know, really balance the hormones and adjust the hormones in response to stress. So basically when you experience stress, it activates the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus um, stimulates the pituitary gland, which then starts to a cascade of messages that basically causes the release of cortisol, which is your stress hormone from your adrenal glands that is designed to basically help you deal with stress. Now, in depressed people, they have a number of abnormalities with this axis in that they particularly experience lots of cortisol secretion. Um, and so, and, and therefore the knock-on effect of all that cortisol is that they experience more stress. There is, um, there is more inflammation in the body as a result and inflammation if you imagine that redness that um you know the rate the swelling the pain that you get with a burn it's happening at a lower level on the inside of your body and it can um essentially increase serotonin metabolism so that there's actually less in the brain and also you know inflammation has been shown to be hugely linked to mental health conditions to the point that you know uh, there's one psychiatrist who I'd really recommend uh, their book to, uh, Professor Edward Bullmore, I think is his name. And he wrote the book, The Inflamed Mind, which is in a complete exploration. He's a psychiatrist, I think, at Oxford or Cambridge. And um, and he did a whole exploration of the role of inflammation in mental health conditions. So it just goes to show how powerful the endocrine system is on your mental health. And it's not something that you want to overlook. And kind of interwoven in all of this really is that there is a not only is there a chemical aspect there's a brain change aspect there's the life experience aspect there's the genetic aspect there's also how that then affects how you think and feel which is the cognitive aspect and we've kind of touched on that originally but um you know you really do experience difficulties with attention with making decisions with processing information and interpreting that information correctly with your memory you will have um, more negative, but you know, a bias to more negative um, uh, kind of thoughts and feelings and interpretations of emotional stimuli. You have altered reward and punishment um, perception and processes in your brain. There is just so much that happens on a cognitive level also, which massively impacts your mood. And so it would be almost impossible for me to do that all in one episode. So I'm going to kind of leave it there. But what I wanted to do is start to show you just how impactful and how complicated depression actually is more than just feeling sad and how people can come into 
feeling depressed for more reasons than just um I, you know, not feeling where they ought to be in life as an example, as a, you know, complete mm-hmm. layman's example of, of why someone might feel depressed. And none of this is your fault. These are, you know, things that a lot of this can, can sometimes be out of your control. But the good thing is, is that the support and, you know, kind of getting support and reaching out to people, that bit is, and that is kind of where you start on your journey to recovery from these kinds of conditions so I think it would be wrong to do this episode and not do a follow-up that talks more around the neuroscience of what actually works in in treating depression or helping to alleviate the symptoms so that will definitely be an episode coming soon I just couldn't fit it all in one no one 100 there is a there is a lot of information of course and obviously as as Mira was saying there is a a lot that probably was left out of this particular episode a because of time and b because of our global comprehension levels right because you can go into the nitty-gritty of everything else and then yeah we might we might be too detailed then yeah so i think it's it's good to do it at this sort of level and every one of you who is listening and interested in finding out more or has a specific question or would like to educate themselves more on this topic can always reach out to Mira and she will be able to point you in the you know right direction of books and articles and other specialists in in the field from from where I'm standing it's I think clearer that depression is not just in quotation marks psychological no, nope. it is, you know, the equilibrium that we depend on in our bodies and our brains in our cells. And that plays a huge role. And yes, we we see it as a psychological or mental health disorder. And we call it as such and we label it as such. But there is so much more behind that diagnostic. There's so much more at play. And I think I would like everyone to understand that. And when you think about why am I feeling depressed? Why is this happening to me? What's wrong with me? And all of these kinds of thoughts that come to somebody's mind, remember that it's not something you've done. It could just be, for example, genetics. It could just be something that uh, your brain is lacking. So don't label yourself in the sense of you've done something wrong or you're not good enough because you're struggling with this. It's it's not up to you. It's not the it's up to you to take steps towards the solution for sure. But it's not your fault why things no. are happening. And if I may just leave you with one of my favorite memes about depression, and maybe we'll try and find I'll try and find it and put it up here. But it's like the meme is basically like uh depression someone just says well it's all in your head and then the person responds well where else do you think it is in my kidneys and it always (laughs) just makes me laugh um yeah so I'll just leave you guys with that and yeah please if you have any questions pop them into the Instagram DMs comments um you can email us directly you can DM me directly on my social um please don't hesitate to get in touch if there's anything more specific you want to know let me know and we will definitely come back with more episodes on this um, in the future. But we thought given that, you know, this is a time of year when these sorts of things become more common, especially as we 
we kind of get through the dregs of winter we really wanted to bring this up and talk a little bit more about it and that doesn't mean we're going to leave you solutionless either so we will definitely be back with with thoughts on what you can do to help yourself get through the January blues so we will be back with you um very very soon with that yes we shall and we haven't even touched sad which is the seasonal affective disorder which oh my god be, I know uh, imagine I mean we could be here for days uh, literally <laughs> yeah I mean look there's a very well-known neuroscientist podcaster who, who regularly does three and a half hour episodes and yeah so yeah yeah so we could be here forever but we will be back and if you want to know anything else more specific just let us know yeah thank Take you care, so guys much. we love you love thanks you. for listening bye bye, bye.